Are you ready? Hey, everybody. Hey, folks. Hello, everybody. People in the back. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Without further ado. Without further ado. Okay, so without further ado, we're going to get started. We should get started. We're yeah. Rolling. I'm rolling. We're, we're gonna get started. Welcome to the Inner Loop Radio. I'm Rachel Coons. And I'm Courtney Sexton. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, Remember to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and check out our website at theinnerlooplit.org. For any new listeners out there here on the Inner Loop Radio, we delve into all things creative writing, whether that be inspiration or craft, publishing or editing, how to make a living, or just how we all sit down each day in front of an empty page. Sometimes my pages are half empty. <laughs> Sometimes we pick. Sometimes they're half full. (laughs) (laughs) Just like my wine glass. No, that is always half empty. Um, (laughs) Sometimes we play clips of local writers reading their work in our monthly reading series. Other times we invite those writers, as well as other members of the literary community, to join our discussion. On today's show, I want to talk about the publishing industry. I feel like you always want to talk about that. (laughs) I do. I know. (laughs) But more specifically, the value of self-publishing. Right on. But first, a quote. Like all good radio shows. That's right. And all good writing. I'm going to start with a quote. Okay. Um, I recently read an article in the New York Times by Andrew DuBose III that opened like this. There is a polished gloss to so much early career contemporary American fiction, a sense that behind the authorial talents that created these novels and stories, there is also a well-intentioned production team of editors and creative writing professors and various helpers along the way who have passed on the rules of what can and cannot be done on the page. And so one often gets the hollow feeling that these carefully made books are now part of a smoothly running machine whose ultimate purpose seems to be not so much art as commerce. And when I read that, I was like, did this guy get inside my head and organize my thoughts really beautifully without me noticing? Because that's what I've been trying to articulate for weeks on this show after spending all this time trying to break into the publishing industry now that I actually have a manuscript and like, being super disillusioned by the machine that is the publishing industry and kind of just feeling like they just want this cookie cutter shit. It's a cog in a wheel, man. I'm a cog in the wheel. <laughs> if you're lucky. If you're lucky. <laughs> um, you know, I had a, a, a conversation that is related to this um, with a book club that I, I was at, this was pre-pandemic, actually, our discussion. Um, and I'm just going to be a terrible person and say I don't remember the book we were discussing. And I, wow. won't, I won't name the book club because it could be some of our listeners. <laughs> but um, I read the book and I remember thinking, this is really lovely. And also, I've read this before. Mm-hmm. And it had all of these um, traits, characteristics of a successful first novel mm-hmm. uh, by someone who had passed through an MFA program exactly. and, you know, all of, all mm-hmm. of the things that we were taught to emulate and 
uh, appreciate and is not to say they're not well done that it's not, it wasn't well crafted and it's that, just not that interesting well it had these like you know it had its own beauty it had its moments but at the end of the day i was like it not only felt green which a first novel should i think um but it felt like it was part of the machine a bigger thing well i mean i just feel like you know, newly graduated MFAs are kind of the gatekeepers in so many arenas, like literary magazines and agencies. Mm -hmm. Like, those are the people who first read the things coming through the door. Right. And, like, before it ever even gets to anyone who, you know, is more experienced or has read, you know, more widely read or maybe would be interested in something new and exciting. But first it goes through these people who just learned from the MFA, here's what a good novel and right. I'm putting up quotations, listeners. I, Here's what a good <laughs> novel looks like. Here's Here what are the good components essay of, looks like. Yeah. Yes. So they're giving them like ingredients to a recipe. And so yes. then when they are reading these submissions, they're like, where are the ingredients? And it's, when they're on hour 12 of reading 6,000 submissions and having mention, gotten coffee for everyone else yes. in the office and they're just happy to be there. Yeah. Yeah. But also like they're they also don't have the power or the experience right. to say this breaks all the rules in all the right ways. Right. Because it's hard. It's hard to do that. It's hard to, to know. speak truth to power. It's <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. But like <laughs> when you're new at something and when you're like the beginning, just like, you know, this this author, this New York Times writer is is talking about new novelists, yeah. you know, because you kind of listen to the people around you who have been doing it for a while because for sure. you want to do something new and exciting, but you also want it to be good and sellable. Well, that's the other big component, right? Is it going to be marketable? And what is hot and trendy in a given time depends on the zeitgeist a little bit, but, to, you know, it's it's basic supply and demand. And what, you know, right now, <laughs> I'm not going to say some of the things I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be free, Courtney. Nope. Speak truth to power. There are there are there are certain manuscripts that you know are going to be elevated to that next level or the next level, and maybe even published purely based on who they're coming from or or the nature of the story right now. And it's like whether or not like the craft and the art is is worth publication. Does that matter all of the time if it's a story that should be told right but now. it's also like the putting everything into a box into a category yeah. like this is an immigrant story this it, that's is what, yes you know and yeah. but just, then those tears we well we talked about this with tope right there's those tears exactly. of like <laughs> but it's like real art speaks to first everyone. of all it speaks to everyone and but secondly and much more importantly um like articulates gray area yeah that's what exciting art does because life is so full of gray area and we as human beings are no, it's constantly not, Rachel. there's no gray in this world categorize and put adjectives on and decide for once and for all like is it bad or is it good and it's a writer's job to be like no didn't you there's hear we're no polarized such that are good <laughs> <laughs> it's all gray area and i'm gonna articulate the discomfort mm-hmm of gray area. Of sitting in the gray. Sitting in it. Swallowing <laughs> Swimming in it. it. <laughs> I was reading a book, actually, at another book. I don't do book clubs often, and I was at one today um, in, like, a midday, like, department, you know, a lunch break book club thing. And we read this beautiful, where we're halfway through this beautiful, beautiful book um, by Robin Kimmerer. And 
she's a botanist who returned to kind of her indigenous roots and culture after having trained as a scientist. And she talks about like what she lost in, in, in having the, you know, uh, her culture kind of like scienced out of her. Mm. Um, wait, where was I going with I this? love that you're always bringing the science. No, I know, no, no, but this was like relevant. to. It's oh, super shit. relevant. No, no, no. There was something you said that I was like, wait, I'm going to make a point here. <laughs> God. We're going to circle back around to that point. Uh, it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that you were on the, like, you're, you're, you're on topic. Okay. It's like a, it's a sciencing out your identity. It's like a turning things into rote. It's, it's yeah. making rules around something that, ah, it's see? back. I it's knew back. it. <laughs> <laughs> <I> just <laughs> kept rambling. <laughs> she talks about language and how in the English language, we just like don't have words for uh, enough things essentially. And, and actually not things. We don't have words for states of being and in her native tongue, um, there are so it's 70% verbs, whereas in English, it's 70% nouns mm. and the difference that makes. Mm. And, and the, the one example she gave was, you know, when she was frustrated trying to learn from her elder, there are like nine people remaining who speak this language. Right. And mm. she's like trying to, you know, learn it to keep it going. And the verb was to be a bay. And and I had to think about it for a minute too, but I knew exactly what that feeling meant, and it was like to be a bay. Yes. What kind of bay? What a bay of water? B a e or yes. b a y? No, no, a, 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 a bay of water. And the idea is that this is giving life to the water that chooses for that moment to be a bay, to be constrained or sheltered by shore. Whereas mm. at other times it can be a waterfall. Mm -hmm. It can be an mm. ocean, right? Beautiful. But it's all these shades of gray bay between what it can be and what, what you know, it, you're getting real, how real we see it. theoretical and meta. Mm, but this no. is, <laughs> but this is what I'm talking about. We don't yeah. even have words to we be don't those have words. Things. That's why we have poetry. Yeah. But, before we get to our next guest, I just have one more question. Is there such a thing of, as over-editing? Yes. Yes, right? Yes, yes. I mean, Walt Whitman, Walt Whitman famously revised Leaves of Grass nine times. He released nine different versions of the same Yeah, book. and how many pages is that sucker? No, it, the first version was 12 poems. Okay. The ninth version had 400 poems. This is what I'm saying. Is that a revision or just like a... What is that? But he was revising and reordering old poems and then adding to some add in to. and then doing this and doing that. And it was sort of and he kept releasing different versions. And some would argue that the first version was the best version because it captured a moment. It captured. Sure. Something. I think there is a such feeling. a thing as over editing a particular piece. There's a different thing as creating a new piece out of something, which I would argue probably is what happened yeah there, some people right? do yeah and i think by the end he was like oh these are different books yeah but but were yeah. they really i don't know yeah. is that how you intended it you just realized that later <laughs> <laughs> revising history I'm not, i don't know i don't know <laughs> all right anyway let's bring in our guest <laughs> i think that's probably a good idea all of that was to say that self-publishing is the way to get around all this <laughs> bullshit <laughs> Here, here. And we want to hear how it's done. From our next guest, our November author spotlight, Sean Felix, coming up. Let's gather. Let's gather. 
Welcome back to the Inner Loop Radio. We've been discussing the publishing industry and more specifically self-publishing, and now we'd like to welcome our Authors Corner November Spotlight and author of the poetry collection called Did You Even Know I Was Here, Sean Felix. Welcome, Sean. Hello. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. We're so being on the happy show. to have you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell us everything. How did you do? De- First of all, how did you decide that you were going to self-publish this book? Brass tacks here. Brass tacks. Brass tacks. <laughs> um, short answer. Uh, I'm a, I'm a very impatient person. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> on that note, we can all three agree. Yes. All three of us. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I, so when this right at, as soon as this became a collection um, of poetry, so um, it do, should I go back into like how it even came to be or should, should I? Should I go back? <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, if, yeah, tell us yeah, the yeah. story. Yeah. Yeah. So it really, this is, this collection is a series of nights of, of insomniac nights. And so, when those nights turned into words and those words turned into poems and those poems turned into this, um, after it was collected all together, I just had a hard time not wanting it to get into the hands of other people. Mm-hmm. I sort of, the desire to have people be a part of the dream or mm-hmm. to interact with this dream was overarching. And so I really just decided to self-publish so that I didn't have to go through the process of sending it out, mm-hmm. getting the rejection, sending it out, getting the rejections and sitting with it, knowing that the power and immediacy of the dream could be grasped if it could mm-hmm. just get out mm-hmm. to the people. And so, so I did it. And, um, and it, what was, what was wonderful about it was, it passed through a few people's hands and then they were like, I, you should just do what you can to get it, get it out. Out into the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's what, I, that's what happened. And I have a good friend who's a expat in Amsterdam mm-hmm. who wrote his own comic book mm. and he did, um, he, it's like Harvey P. Carr style. Um, cool. he's from Cleveland. It like, this, and so he was like, I'm just going to do a Kickstarter. I'm going to have people um, read my comic book. Mm. And he did it. And his comic book is wonderful. And he's like, anybody, you can do it. Yeah. Just do it. Inspiring. So how does that, what, like, actually, literally, how does that work? Like, to say, <laughs> just do it. Like, what are the, like, step one, S- buy some paper. <laughs> you know? Like- <laughs> um, yeah, step, step one was actually find a printer. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So finding a local printer was tough. I, I didn't really know how to do that. And right now, and now for self-publisher people who want to self-publish, there's so many options now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can go through Amazon, which a lot of people do. Right. Um, um, Amazon self-publishing works really well because you get access to their um, eBooks. You get access to um, their print on demand. There's 
um, is it Lulu? I think it is. Um, it's a self-publishing site as well. Um, but I did it sort of the old fashioned way. I, my feet hit the street. I found a printer nice. um, in Tacoma Park um, who was willing to put it out. And I worked with them to actually get it to what I wanted it to look like. Mm-hmm. Once I had that and I had proof that it could be a thing, <laughs> I was like, all right, let's put it out there and see if people will go for it. And so this, and this is, you, you talked about the, the sort of marketing part. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. <laughs> that stuff is actually really, it takes a lot of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't have an Instagram before I got an Instagram. I, Which one in, in and of itself is extremely time consuming to keep up. So, and, and also, yeah, has the the standards and norms for that have changed even since they changed from the constantly. time you printed your first copy to, you know, you were ready to sell it probably, yeah. right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the science behind it now, I can't, I, I can't, it was so hard for me to keep up now. Sure. Um, then it was, it was a little bit, it was newer, it was easier. So I was, I was sort of game for it. And you were, you know, tapping into friend networks, building networks, talking to people. Um, I've met some really great people through Instagram um, right now through the networking that I did initially. Mm-hmm. And then um, going through social media, then Kickstarter, I use Kickstarter as well. Kickstarter does a really good job of actually helping you produce what you're going to do. But cool. even then, I found myself, I was making videos um, of found footage films and like reading my poetry over these found over the footage films. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Um, and <laughs> that is cool putting this stuff out there and really just trying to trying to find new ways of expressing what was inside, um, what was inside the book. Mm -hmm. And once you, once I crafted it and you hit go, you just sort of, then you just sort of wait. (laughs) Brutal. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds sounds like (laughs) not like fun. Um, Wow. So what you were saying about the immediacy, like mm -hmm. the immediacy of it and how you, you needed people to experience the immediacy of it i noticed in the in the foreword you you say that not only did you write it but you also edited it arranged it um all within the same short amount of time right um and within the same sort of bout of insomnia and being in paris so what was so important to you why did you feel like you needed to complete it so quickly i think that had a lot to do with Paris itself. Hmm. Um, Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) We all have a deep and abiding love for Paris here. (laughs) We're just restraining ourselves from gushing. (laughs) Um, It it comes, it almost comes to a question. uh, Did you, what was the name of the movie? Before Sunrise? Have you seen that? Mm -mm, No. uh, I think it's Ethan Hawke and Juliette Binoche. Mm. Mm. I need to see this. <laughs> <laughs> um, it came out came out a while ago, and they did. It's it's a trilogy now, um, okay. but it's about this American, this French woman who meet, and they spend essentially a night together, and they fall in love um, in this night, and then and this all happens before sunrise in the span of okay. Um, and my experience with Paris just it it had that immediacy to it. That love relationship was something that I'd ha- actually started developing earlier on. I've been a fan of French film and um, French culture for a very long time, but had never gone um, 
being there was like meeting a lover for the first time mm-hmm. and trying and trying to gather and trying to experience everything that you could with that person, mm-hmm. knowing that you were going this to separate finite period mm-hmm. of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, I wanted to, wanted to craft that experience as in the best way that I could with like with the time that I had. Mm-hmm. And so organizing it and arranging it, arranging it might've been the most, most difficult part because initially it came as a miasma. Mm-hmm. And then as the, as I started lay, laid out the miasma into sort of a linearity because I knew that I wanted other people to be able to experience it mm-hmm. with me. That was the part that took a little bit more effort. Mm-hmm. The rest of it, though, it just flowed right out of me. Yeah, it, it definitely came through what what you're saying there. there. What was interesting to me about the poems is like they were at once urgent. Like I felt like they're uh, definitely imbued I wanted with to that get energy. through that. I needed to mm-hmm. get through them. Like I read the whole book in one sitting and mm-hmm. then, you know, go back and reread it. But the first time through, it was like, I have to keep going. I have to like know the next thing. But also within the poems, you you do a really great job of like creating this space, space. for silence and for the reader to sort of sit in this surreality, which I think was reflected in both like this, the experience of insomnia, the surreality mm-hmm. of insomnia. And the long night that is. <laughs> and things get really surreal yeah. when you don't sleep. Um, <laughs> and then the surreality of going to a place that has so much history and such mystique and then going there and experiencing it for yourself that and also in that state yeah and then so yeah you have all these things happening at once so you know it i don't know it just all feels very like apropos Mm -hmm. french word um that you know you wrote it all in one like one sitting but sort of one mood you captured this mood. The mood itself was surreal, urgent. And transferred Everything to about the process. It was urgent. The right. production process. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it just sort of carries through the whole thing. Um, so yeah, I would love to hear some poems um, mm-hmm. because they all kind of speak to that mood to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I was, I was and so when, when you were when you were speaking, I was thinking of um there's this one part called waiting. Uh and it this poem and I'll read it and then I'll sort of um, speak to what it, uh, what it made me think of um, when you were speaking. So waiting, it's short. I dare not sleep for fear of missing you, dark-eyed sentinel, believe me, for this bed is worn and hard with memories of lovers. And it made me think of it's sort of that moment of, um, what do you call it? It's a, mo- a moment of clarity mm-hmm. that I stop for a moment and you, the realization that this is going to sound a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> we love you. Yeah, weird. we're, we're here. We're here for weird. weird. <laughs> it's bad. Um, that I will in the moment that I am one of many lovers mm-hmm. in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
that even so, the, that, that memory and that desire, and it's all, it all pulled us all in. Mm-hmm. And we're all, we're all part of the same experience. Um, and the insomniac's bed is not, the insomniac's bed is, it's hard. It's not a mm-hmm. place where you can sort of rest into it. Mm-hmm. You're very much awake. Um, hoping, and in this case, hoping to capture this, um, this fleeting feeling or knowing that this feeling is going to be fleeting, mm-hmm. hoping to capture it in this moment. You know, you're standing there and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, you're waiting. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then it comes to you and you say, and you breathe. And then you wait for the next moment. And mm-hmm. it, you just go from moment to moment mm-hmm. to moment. And um, what you were saying is the propulsion of those, mm-hmm. of that, that momentum, the propulsion of that moment. Well, <laughs> yes. uh, <laughs> There's a uh, lot moving us forward. In yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that, that trajectory really was, um, is the experience mm-hmm. of the dream. And mm-hmm. so you just, riding that wave and you get to a point where the first part of the book is really about arrival. The second part of mm. the book is about sort of the onslaught of the insomnia, what happens when it like comes and gets you. Mm. And that's when things got really strange. Uh, mm. And so I, I have one called Baron garden, which is actually set across from one called Nightingale's daughter. And Nightingale's daughter is very, very, a very sweet moment. Mm-hmm. And then Baron Garden is, and I'll read it again and come back to it. My heart grew calm inside you. Now I stand here naked, except for these stained briefs and Soviet cosmonaut helmet. In a different bed, we could grow food on Mars together. If only I could think of the French word for grass, then the seeds wouldn't blow away in the cold drizzle of yesterday's song. There's so much imagery packed into that. It's so hard because I feel the onslaught that you're talking about, right? Because I want to break it down, but I'm still spinning with the first and the last line. And I'm like, wait, but all of those steps that happened in between, how did we get there? (laughs) I feel that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and in a short space. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and that one, the, I love it because I love the Soviet cosmonaut yeah. <laughs> paired with the briefs. And it it's just this, it's this shocking thing. Now, the listeners might be wondering if I was at any point wearing a wearing Soviet a co- helmet. cosmonaut yes, helmet. Yes, I'm wondering that. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'll, and there's some things you should just sort of leave for the imagination. <laughs> not going to tell Um, yeah, one of the, the poem that you submitted for the eat, eat, drink, read program really sticks out to me as well. Um, because I, most of the poems I like, like you were saying, like propel me forward. And I, I, I feel like I want the context or I want more and I have to keep consuming. Mm -hmm. But that one I read several times and each time gave me a different feeling. And 
I thought it really captured sort of this flimsiness of reality that happens when you're sleepless. Oh, sleep deprived. Yeah. <clears throat> so I would love for you to read that poem. Oh, which, um... uh, oh it's the, the one where she's sort of making out with an old 50s movie star. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I don't remember the name. <laughs> But I remember the image. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that uh, one of a kind. Um, she knelt down and leaned her face against the picture tube. The smell of 1960s ozone nostalgia mingled with static electricity, tickling the minute hairs on her lips. She gave the noir detective a demure kiss through the screen which he returned with characteristic indifference and turned his back on her. It was never meant to be. Old men like him didn't fall for future women like her. She caressed the white plastic housing, radiating its sickly heat from the back and waited for the black and white TV snow to roil like ash in a fiery snow globe. No one ever stayed awake as long as she did. She was one of a kind. Let it sit. <laughs> also, I love your, your wonderfully warm, deep voice deepened ever so slightly to match that noir tone <laughs> there in that reading. It was quite perfect. Well, yeah. this has been such an amazing discussion. Uh, you can buy Sean's poetry collection, Did You Even Know I Was Here, online or in person at Potter's House Local Bookseller. You can find out more about Sean and our Authors Corner program on our website, theinnerlooplit.org slash Authors Corner, where you can also find interviews, articles, and events featuring Sean and other talented local authors. Sean, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. Will you stick around for a little writing prompt? Oh, I'm so excited. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, up next, we are going to tackle the pantom. Dun, dun, dun. A pandemic pantom. There it is. Pantom. Hey. Welcome back to the Interloop Radio. We turn now to everyone's favorite writing prompts. Just before the show, Sean, Courtney, and I spent a few minutes whipping together a pantoom, a pandemic pantoom. It was actually, and we actually like, we did it. We we moved. Yeah. 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 Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with the form, a pantoom is a poem of any length composed of four line stanzas in which the second and fourth lines of each stanza Stanza <laughs> serve as the first and third lines of the next. And then the last line of a pantoum is often the same as the first. So did you get that? There's a lot of repetition. Second and fourth. <laughs> first and you and gotta third. circle back around to the circle first back line. around, do the hokey pokey, do the turn your <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh so yeah, I thought the pantoum would serve as a good structure for us to attempt to capture the moment. A la did you even know I was here? But of the 
pandemic, the last two years that we've all been living through. And I said we could kind of go with whatever theme we wanted, just feel it out. So who's feeling who's feeling good? Who's feeling confident? Who wants to go first? Confident. Anybody? Feel good. Feeling good? Sean feels good. Sean feels good. I think Sean Let's hear it. Okay. Give it okay. So this is um this is my pantoon. Very nature based. Nice. Yeah. I'm here for that. The avenues are empty. And these streets don't echo. Silent mothers count the bluebirds in the park. These streets don't echo when the stag crosses her path. The bluebirds in the park watch our breasts rise and fall. When the stag crosses her path, silent mother counts, watching our breasts rise and fall. And the avenues remain empty. Damn. <clears throat> well, I should not have let the poet go, go first. No <laughs> real poet, uh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Can I volunteer to go next only because. Yes, because the... I'm not following that. No, 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 no. First of all, I love that you. Um, you hit on the, you know, explosion here in, in, in our urban world of the return of, quote, yes. nature to the city, right? That was and, a delightful you know, all the comments effect. of people talking about, you know, hearing the birds again, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I was chuckling to myself as you were reading because this um, uh, streets imagery also emerged in my pantoum. So, awesome. um, yeah, that's the funny thing. All right. Untitled so far. Um, Yeah. We float through the streets of ourselves, our cells continuing to, to divide at a rate that is normal for a human cell. The only thing that seems to be and of which we are more aware than ever. This virus is also continuing to divide at a pace that is normal for an organism trying to outrun evolution of which we are more aware than ever, especially when standing six feet apart, holding our breath, trying to outrun evolution. For a human cell, the only thing that seems the only thing that seems to be real, especially when standing six feet apart, holding our breath, are the streets of ourselves. Damn. I love how your voice comes through even in the Rigid pantoum. Mm, thank Courtney's you. voice cannot be stopped. Wow, that's like high praise, girl. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Nice work, everybody. Okay, here all comes right, one bring more. Bring us home, Rach. Bringing it home. Mine is all indoor. I was just thinking about being stuck in the house with my baby and my partner. Mm. Yeah. The blooming of these narrow spaces between tasks, endpoints, goalposts, into the span of 21 months of a thousand mirrored images of this face. Between tasks, endpoints, goalposts, I stare into the empty space of a thousand mirrored images of this face, blurring away the finer points and cracks. I stare into the empty space of the span of 21 months, blurring away the finer points and cracks the blooming of these narrow spaces. Mm, 
I love that. Oh, Girl, my. are you finding your poet self? <laughs> Maybe you just need a pantyum. I just need structure. Yeah, structure brings out can bring out the best in it. Rachel's always like, I'm not a poet. I'm like, mm-hmm. There's a poet in everyone's There's heart. There's a poet inside you. Just let her out. Let her out. Let her let her roar. <laughs> let that lion's breath go. Well. Thank you so much, Sean. Yeah. Thank you. This oh, has been amazing. This has been amazing. <laughs> so this was so much fun. I think I'm I have a huge grin. Awesome. Huge grin. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He is smiling. I can vouch for that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our show. We'll be back every other Monday. And did you know that the Inner Loop has lots of programming for writers in the DC area? So much. We do readings, retreats, workshops, a summer residency. And more. To read all about it, extra, extra, <laughs> visit us at theinnerlooplit.org, where you can also donate to support us and local literature. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Inner Loop Lit. Today's episode was produced by me, Rachel Kuntz. Our theme music is by Andrew Logan, and our technical advisor is James Skinner. Thanks again to Sean Felix for joining us on the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, quietly meditate on your gratitude. It is the season of gratitude. Indeed. But I mean, you could also leave us a review. Such as, the Inner Loop Radio is rad. Rad is the radio of the Inner Loop. The Inner Loop is rad radio. Is that a pant review? <laughs> pant Please don't forget to subscribe. <laughs> subscribe. Subscribe so you never miss an episode like this one. Happy writing. Right on. Right on.